All right, now take your Bible and open to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. We're going to come to the conclusion of this chapter this morning, Lord willing. John 12, starting in verse 44. And Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me does not believe in me, but in him who sent me. And he who beholds me beholds the one who sent me. I have come as light into the world that everyone who believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I do not come to the world to judge or come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has uh, one who judges him, the word I spoke is what will judge him on the last day. For I did not speak on my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me, he has given me commandment what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. Therefore, these things I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, again, <clears throat> we are thankful for an opportunity to come this morning to, to worship and to praise you, our God, and to uh, lift up the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're so thankful for your word that you have given to us this morning that we can come and uh, study one more time uh, together here in this uh, 12th chapter. We do pray for our dear uh, sister Kay and her family and uh, pray for uh, your strength in her life with the homegoing of Bill. Thankful for Bill's life, his great example of uh, love for Christ and love for his dear wife and love for his family. So I just pray that you'd bless that family, encourage them. Uh, I pray that the gospel message that went out at his funeral would uh, uh, prick the hearts of those who have not repented and they might consider uh, the person of Jesus Christ because there's no more important uh, decision, uh, no more important issue in anybody's life than to be able to face the reality of death that comes for us all. And so we pray your guidance upon this hour as we open your word. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Well, here in John 12, we are somewhere in the midweek of the Passion Week. On Monday, as I told you, perhaps, Jesus arrives in Jerusalem, and at the celebration of the Passover, he's hailed as the Messiah. On Tuesday, he goes and cleanses the temple. <clears throat> Wednesday and Thursday, there's some teaching and instruction, and at some point before Friday... Uh, he, when he goes through his mock trial and crucifixion, he offers this, fa- this last final invitation to the nation of Israel uh, to repent and believe upon him as the Messiah. Look back up in uh, verse 35. Jesus therefore said to them, For a little while longer the light is among you. Walk while you have the light, that darkness may not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light, in order that you may become sons of the light. So these are the last words ever spoken by Christ publicly in his earthly ministry. Verse 36 concludes with these words. It says, these things Jesus spoke, he departed and hid himself from them. So this is the last public teaching, the last public appearance of of Christ, and he is instructing, he's teaching. The next time he shows up in public is when he's crucified, when he's brought before the Sanhedrin and Pilate and Herod and He never makes another public appearance until his mock trial and crucifixion. So these are the final words. This is the final call to believe. This is the final invitation. 
While God is extremely long-suffering and patient, compassionate with people, slow to anger, delaying in bringing judgment upon men for their sin and unbelief, at some point, God's patience with sinners comes to an end, and it's too late. And after the Lord withdraws himself and hides in verse 36, again with the exception of his arrest, his trial and crucifixion, again he's not seen in public. He's only seen by his uh, followers. Chapters 13 through 17 are the Lord's private discourse with his disciples. The public ministry of Christ is over. So for three long years, over and over again, uh, he has uh, preached. For three long years, he has walked among the people. Uh, He has proved over and over again that he's more than just a mere man, that he is indeed God's own son, God incarnate. And there's absolutely no reason to miss him. No reason not to understand exactly who he is. No reason not to understand exactly who he claimed to be other than men's pride and their outright rejection of the truth. And Christ repeatedly warned that a day would come when it would be too late to believe upon him. And Jesus repeatedly warned those who rejected him, you shall die in your sin, for unless you believe that I am, you shall die in your sin, John 8 and 24. Again, as I've said numerous times throughout the study in the Gospel of John, the most important issue in any person's life is to come to a proper understanding of who Jesus is. Bar none, the most important issue in your life is what you think about the person of Jesus Christ. Because what you think about the person of Jesus Christ uh, affects both time and eternity. And it's your understanding of the person of Jesus Christ that determines your eternal destiny, the destiny of your eternal soul. The issue is on that kind of a high level, that important of an issue. If Jesus was no more than just a mere man, as many believe, if he was just some kind of a teacher, a good moral example, a philosopher, even a religious leader or some kind of a prophet who is somewhat uh, misguided, then you can forget him safely. However, if he's indeed God as he repeatedly claimed to be, as the scripture continues to demonstrate him to be, as the writer of the book that we're working our way through, John, puts him forward to be, then you must repent. You must repent and you must yield your life to him immediately. And you can't repent too soon because nobody knows how soon it might be too late to do so. Meaning that as long as you have breath, as long as you're alive and have mental capacity There's an opportunity for you to repent, to believe upon Christ for eternal salvation, to call out to God for mercy through his son Christ, to turn from your sin, worship and serve him only and serve him faithfully. But the second you die, it's too late. It's too late. You will be lost forever. Again, Christ says, for unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sin. And to die in your sin, to reject God's kindness through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to choose not to believe upon Christ, will result in you paying for that error eternally. In a literal place of eternal conscious torment, a place called hell. A place where Jesus warned uh, warned repeatedly that the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. A place of endless agony, torment, remorse, from which there is no hope of ever escaping. Now, again, I know that a lot of people don't believe in a literal physical hell, but what people believe has no effect on what is true. Jesus warned of the reality of hell more than he spoke of the reality of heaven. 
And every man alive only has the time in which has been allotted to him in his existence to figure out what the truth is. And then to submit to that truth. Because once you take your last breath, it's too late. Once you take your last breath, you will know with absolute certainty what truth is. And what an eternally terrible tragedy it would be to find out only when it's too late after you've taken your last breath and stepped into eternity that hell literally really does exist. Again, a real, literal, eternal place of conscious torment that God's word repeatedly warned you about. That you had repeated opportunities not to go there. But you scorned God's mercy through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and you chose not to believe, and now it's too late. You chose not to investigate the claims of Christ. You chose to go on living your life as though God didn't exist. You chose to refuse God's warning of a coming day of judgment. You chose to reject the truth that God in his infinite holiness and his righteousness therefore punishes sin eternally. You chose to believe the lie that you're not personally accountable to God. Therefore, you chose to believe the lie that you are your own God and could live your life any way you want and make up your own rules for your life along the way. You chose to reject the truth. You chose not to believe. You chose not to repent. You chose not to accept God's pardon and forgiveness through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, you chose for yourself eternal damnation. Because again, Jesus warned, you shall die in your sin, for unless you believe that I am, unless you believe that I am God God incarnate, mankind's only Savior, the Messiah, mankind's only hope, you shall die in your sin. Now again, I repeatedly also told you through the study, evidence is not the issue. The evidence of the reality of who Jesus Christ is, is more than sufficient. What makes the rejection and unbelief of Jesus Christ inexcusable is the utter irrationality of unbelief. That in spite of the overwhelming evidence, men choose not to believe because men love their sin. John 3 and 19, this is the judgment that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. Unbelief is not a matter of lack of evidence. Unbelief is a matter of the fact that men love their sin. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And Jesus warned. Jesus warned the religious leaders, and he warned really all unbelievers back in John chapter 5, verse 40, you are unwilling to come to me that you might have life. That's the unbeliever's position in spite of all the evidence. They're unwilling to be saved. They're unwilling to come to Christ that they might have life because men love their sin. So unbelief is not an intellectual issue. Again, it's not that there's a lack of evidence. Unbelief is a moral issue. People reject Jesus Christ for one simple reason. They love their sin and they hate having their sin exposed by the light of Christ. They love their sin and they hate righteousness. 
And again, men only have the time which God has granted to them in this life to make a decision on what they will do with the person of Jesus Christ. As I mentioned the other day at the funeral, that once a man is born, we live forever because we're created in the image of the eternal God. So once we're born, we live forever, and there's only two eternal destinations for all of mankind. After a person dies, every person's either going to head to eternal destruction or everyone will head to eternal life. And again, it all depends on what you do with the person of Jesus Christ while you have time and opportunity. The person of Jesus Christ is the central issue. And the Bible says that in 1 Timothy 2 and 4 that God desires all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. And I repeatedly told you that this is the express reason. This is why the Gospel of John exists, why John wrote it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. John 20 and 31, these things have been written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have what? Life. Right? Life in his name. God desires to save men. And men are unwilling to come to Christ to have eternal life. So again, there's no more pressing issue for you to deal with than to come to a proper understanding of the person of Jesus Christ because one day it will be too late for you to believe. One day it will be too late for you to believe upon Christ and you will face the awful wrath and judgment of a holy God upon your sin and your life if you've rejected him. That's why Jesus again warns here in verse 35, Jesus therefore said to them, for a little while longer. For a little while longer the light is among you. Just for a little while. Literally in the context of the chapter, we're only hours away from the cross. Time's running out. While you have the light, again, it's really a call to repentance and faith. Believe is really the issue. Believe while you have light. And I told you, light has long been used as a metaphor for God and directly for Messiah, uh, 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 the Lord Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. So walk while you have the light. Walk while you have. Believe while you have the light, the person of God in your presence, that the darkness may not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. And darkness is the condition of the unbeliever, the place of the unbeliever. When men have an encounter with light, yet they reject that light. When men have an encounter with the person of Jesus Christ and reject Jesus Christ, they're not left with just a little light. Rather, they're plunged into deeper and deeper darkness to a place where they're unable to believe. While you have the light, believe in the light in order that you may become sons of the light. Verse 36 again, it's a final gracious call for the nation of Israel to repent. And again, it's a sobering reminder, a sobering truth. There's going to come a time for the unbeliever where the gospel is no longer available to them for belief, either at death for the unbeliever or when the unbeliever's heart becomes so hardened in the practice of unbelief that they're no longer able to believe. And Jesus hides himself from them. And when Jesus, who is the only Savior of the world, withdraws from those who will not believe and hides, that seals their final condemnation and eternal judgment. It's exactly what happens here at the conclusion of verse 36. These things Jesus spoke and he departed and hid himself from them. That's judgment. That's judgment that comes upon those always who reject God's mercy through Christ. Excuse me, it comes upon individuals and it comes upon nations. It came upon the nation of Israel. And let me tell you without a fact, it will come upon this nation. It comes upon every nation. 
Every nation of the world, the coming wrath of God for the rejection of Jesus Christ. Paul, Acts 17, verse 30. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all men everywhere should repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. There's a coming day of judgment. Now, as I said last time, God has been expressly, long-sufferingly patient with the nation of Israel. More than any other nation on the planet, in fact. They rebelled against him repeatedly. And while God judged them, he didn't destroy them. He had compassion on them even in his judgment. He repeatedly, through their history, took them off into captivity where hundreds and thousands and millions of Jews have been slaughtered over the centuries because of the rejection of Christ and because of their disobedience to God. But we know that God is still being patient with the nation of Israel because the nation of Israel still exists. Romans 11 says there's a future for the nation. The nation of Israel still exists and all the other nations have come and gone. The Amorites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, etc. and so forth. But in the context of John chapter 12, time has run out. Again, it's a sobering warning to those who abuse God's grace and his kindness that there will come a time, there will come a place when God's patience runs out. So again, with one final appeal to the nation of Israel, he calls them to repent and to believe upon him. Again, throughout the entirety of his three-year ministry, he's faced nothing but unbelief, hatred, hostility, rejection by the nation, especially by the religious leaders who should have known better. You'll remember in verse 34, the crowd gave their verdict regarding Jesus as the Messiah and rejected him. Initially, they hailed him as the Messiah by, by the end of the week because he didn't meet their expectations. They abandoned him. They're going to call for a murderer to be released and for Jesus to be executed. Look back up in verse 31. Now judgment is upon the world. Now the ruler of this world shall be cast out. And if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. Verse 33, he was saying this to indicate the kind of death to which he was to, to die. Verse 34, the multitude therefore answered, answered him, we have heard... Out of the law that the Christ is to remain forever, how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? Right? This is just really nothing more than mocking sarcasm. It's unbelief. A complete rejection by the people of Jesus as the Messiah. And again, the very last words of Christ that he speaks in his earthly ministry are words of warning, words of a compassionate cry to run to mercy. Again, verse 35, Jesus therefore said to them, For a little while longer the light is among you. Walk while you have the light. The darkness may not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light, in order that you may become sons of the light. Again, the last words of Jesus Christ that he speaks in his earthly ministry are not words of condemnation, but they're words of invitation. Words pointing to the reality of the fact that he's the light. Five times in these two verses, he refers to himself as light. Because he is the one, the only one, who leads men out of darkness. John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus says, Therefore, uh, Jesus spoke, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. So again, Jesus is warning. Time's running out. It's a final call to repentance. It's a final call to belief. 
These things Jesus spoke, he departed and hid himself from them. In the context, it's over. In the context of these people in front of him, the people of the nation of Israel, it's over. They've officially rejected Jesus as the Messiah. God's patience with them has come to an end. And even though at this very moment God's patience with the nation had run out, God didn't bring judgment by the Romans uh, upon them for another 40 years. Christ was crucified in 33 A.D. In 66 A.D., uh, a revolution broke out against Rome uh, for all of their um, uh, oppression and uh, uh, injustice. It was led by the zealots, uh, a uh, uh, radical nationalistic party of Jews who used... Uh, terrorism and, and murder, and uh, they'd sneak up behind people and, and assassinate uh, different Roman officials. And, and the Romans could only take so much of it. Therefore, they put down the rebellion. They slaughtered thousands upon thousands of Jews in northern Galilee. The Roman general Titus came down to Jerusalem with an army in excess of 80,000 men, and he stationed his army outside of Jerusalem and demanded its immediate surrender. And when they refused, he began his long siege of Jerusalem. And eventually, over a period of time, he murdered, slaughtered over a million, one hundred thousand Jews. That was not before they sealed up all of the exits from Jerusalem. Romans built large mounds of dirt outside the city so no one could escape. And when someone tried, they caught them and they crucified them. The Romans stripped the countryside bare of trees to make crosses for crucifixion and then different kinds of war machines. And literally, the countryside was filled with the corpses, the bodies of dead, crucified Jews. As the Romans held the city and sieged the city, sealed the city off, starvation and famine started in the city, and the stench became so unbearable that at one time, people from inside the city threw over the city wall more than 100,000 bodies, according to the historian Josephus, just to get rid of the stench and decay inside the walls, inside the city. 70 AD, the temple was destroyed by fire. The Roman soldiers come. They go to the temple. They sacrifice to their false gods, and Caesar orders the whole city to be leveled, raised. Again, over 1,100,000 Jews dead. Nearly 100,000 taken off as prisoners. Hundreds upon thousands of corpses literally everywhere. Judgment just came upon this unbelieving generation of Israel exactly as Jesus promised it would come. Back in Matthew chapter 23, verse 36, Jesus says all of these things are going to come upon this generation for their unbelief. You reject grace, you reject God's kindness, you reject mercy, you reject the truth. When we reject Christ, there's nothing that awaits except condemnation. And we know throughout the history of the nation of Israel, the Jewish people have been nothing but persecuted and slaughtered. Jews have been truly, terribly, uh, uh, brutally mistreated, maligned, falsely accused, massacred throughout history, treated without mercy for nothing more than just being Jews. They're the object of scorn of both demons and wicked men. And they find themselves in that position because they've rejected God's kindness, they rejected the truth. They rejected the Lord Jesus Christ, who is indeed the Messiah, their Messiah. But again, as Romans 11 says, God's rejection of them is not total and final. It's not complete. Romans 11.1, I say then, Paul says, 
God has not rejected his people in a final sense. He says, may it never be. For I to him an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin, God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. God always has a remnant. And in spite of all of the persecution and divine chastening, Israel will be one day restored, as it says in Romans 11, verses 11 and 12. And then God also, through the prophet Zechariah, speaking of the future of the nation of Israel, Zechariah 12:10, I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication, so they will look on me whom they have pierced, and now they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son, and they will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping of the firstborn. Matthew chapter 30 or 27 verse 37, Christ says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you are unwilling. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. Verse 39, Matthew 23, verse 39, for I say to you, from now on you shall not see me here. Listen, you shall not see me until you say. You shall not hear me, or you shall not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It's a promise of hope. That little word until, until, God's not forever finally through with the nation of Israel. He's not rejected them in total, He's punished them. But one day He's promised to open up their hearts so they will again look upon Jesus Christ. They will look on Him whom they have pierced. And they will say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. There will be a national revival. Now, what happened in those 40 years where God delayed his punishment of the nation of Israel from his death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and that coming punishment in 70 AD of the nation of Israel? Well, in the day of Pentecost, 3,000 Jews were converted and came to Christ under the preaching of the gospel. A few days later, 5,000 were converted and the church begins to explode. So in the months after the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ with the coming of the Holy Spirit, tens of thousands of Jews come to the person of Christ. And in that period of time between the judgment that was passed and the sentence was executed in that 40-year period of time, the church began to grow. Jewish ambassadors of the gospel sent out apostles and ambassadors and they established the Gentile church because the Gentiles started to hear the knowledge of the truth. The Jews fulfilled very literally Acts 1 and 8, which says, Go into the world to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Judgment is coming, but God in his mercy is still saving people who will repent. Because judgment always comes from unbelief. And God in his long-suffering patience causes believers sometime to ask the question, Why? Why aren't you acting? How come you're delaying? How come you're allowing? How come you're allowing all the wickedness that is going unchecked in this country that we're living in that is literally burning to the ground every night? Like the martyrs in the book of the Revelation ask, how long will it be? Right? How long, O Lord, am I going to allow this evil? Are you going to allow this evil to go on? And it's true that God sometimes is long-sufferingly patient, and in that delay... Sinners take advantage of it. Ecclesiastes 8 and 11 says, Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed quickly, therefore the hearts of the sons of men are given fully to do evil. Sometimes sinners come and they fill up that space, as it were, in God's long-suffering patience with even more sin. 
But all that it's going to do is bring greater and greater judgment upon them. Greater and greater condemnation. Again, one day God's patience is going to come to a final, complete end. It's going to be over. Verse 36 again. While they have... While you have the light, believe in the light, in order that you may become sons of the light. These things Jesus spoke, he departed from them and hid himself. Verse 37, but though he had performed so many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him. John says that the people don't believe because they reject the light that was given to them. John says the people that don't believe are without excuse. John says the miraculous divine power of the person of Jesus Christ was undeniable. The miracles too numerous too public for anyone to deny and as i've told you repeatedly not even the opponents of christ ever denied the miraculous power of the person of jesus christ the chief priests the pharisees the sanhedrin admit in john chapter 11 verse 47 this man speaking of jesus christ is performing many miracles this is just outright rejection and to reject the light given is to be plunged into greater and greater darkness Greater and greater judgment to a place where God judicially hardens the heart and blinds the eyes so that men cannot believe. Verse 38, that which was spoken of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke, Lord, who has believed our report and to whom the arm of the Lord has been revealed? Verse 39, for this cause they could not believe. For Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes, he has hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes, perceive with their heart and be converted and I heal them. At some point, God's patience runs out. When men continually refuse to believe, God hardens the heart, blinds the eyes so that men cannot believe. It's an act of God's righteous judgment against sinners who have heard the truth and repeatedly scorned the truth, who have heard of God's offer of mercy and have repeatedly spit in God's face, scorned his mercy, scorned his grace, scorned his kindness, his offer of forgiveness of sin through the person of Jesus Christ. And what men don't understand is the hardening effect of unbelief. How that affects the heart. The hardening effect of unbelief on the heart makes it increasingly difficult to believe. As people continue to show contempt for God's grace, there comes a time when they have hardened their heart and then God will harden their heart also as judicial judgment and God will not allow them to believe because now it's too late. And again, in the context of John 12, that's where we're at for the nation of Israel. For this generation, they have so mistreated God's beloved son. It's too late. Judgment is coming. God's patience has run out. The day of grace has come to an end. And that reality for the the generation in John 12 is a truth that is a reality for all men At some point, God's patience runs out, and it's too late. Now, John says some people will believe, as God grants them a vision of Christ in his glory. Verse 41. These things, Isaiah said, because he saw his glory and spoke of him. It's another another verse that the Holy Spirit again puts forward as a confirming testimony to the deity of Jesus Christ. I spoke to you last time, verse 41 is really a reference out of Isaiah chapter 6. 
Isaiah 6, 1, In the year of the king of Zion's death, I saw the Lord on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. With two he flew. And one called out to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filled with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips. I love, I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Again, the Holy Spirit uh, says to the human author John, who's pinning uh, verse 41 here, to tell us that this is really a vision of Jesus Christ. This is a vision of Jesus Christ. That's who Isaiah saw when he stepped into the temple. He saw the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who was born in Bethlehem's manger, is none other than the one who sits upon the throne before the seraphim receiving worship. That's Jesus Christ. And although some people don't have a proper vision of Christ, other people don't profess Christ, or other people will profess Christ without a proper vision, They'll make a profession, but it's really not a genuine profession of Christ because they're really not focused on Christ. They're actually focused on man. They're not really interested in God's glory. They're interested in their own glory. Verse 42, John says, Nevertheless, nevertheless, even many of the rulers believed. But then he says, But because of the Pharisees, they're not confessing him. Lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they love the approval of men rather than the approval of God. I told you that word approval is dox. That really means glory. They love the glory of men rather than the glory of God. So this kind of belief in John 42 is something that John repeatedly has put throughout his gospel. It's an example of non-saving faith. It's an example of spurious faith. It's an example of people who make a profession who say they believe, but as you look through the whole issue, Jesus doesn't believe their belief. That's really what he's saying. Here are men who fear other men rather than fearing God. Here are men who Christ made a temporary impression upon, but they fear other men rather than they fear God. They won't repent. They won't turn away from their sin. They won't turn away from the world because they fear of being cut off from their world. They, they love the allurement of the world. They love the praise of men more than they love the praise of God. They love, again, the glory of men rather than the glory of God. It's another warning to religious people to be fearful of confessing Christ with your mouth but not truly believing by repentance and a transformed life. Because salvation comes by faith and faith looks like something. Faith transforms a person from the inside out and salvation comes by way of faith and confession of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Romans 10 and 9, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved for the, the heart of man, uh, the heart believes resulting in righteousness with the mouth he confesses resulting in salvation. So faith that refuses to confess Christ is not saving faith. It's a false faith. Luke chapter 12, verse 8, Jesus says, I say to you, everyone who confesses me before men, the Son of Man shall confess him also before the angels of God, but he who denies me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. Somebody once said that you can have you cannot have both the goodwill of sinners and the goodwill of God. James says it like this, James 4 and 4, you adulteress. 
Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You're going to have to make a choice. This world is not your friend. This world is not the friend of God or righteousness. You can't walk with the world and walk with the Lord. Not all professions of faith are genuine. If any man is in Christ, he's a what? New creature. New creation. All things are new. Has your belief in Christ transformed you from the inside out? Do you have a desire for the glory of God more than anything else? Do you have a desire to honor God more than anything else? Is the glory of Christ the preeminent thing in your life? Do you wake up every single morning going, all I want to do, Lord, today is please you. I don't care what I accomplish, but I just want to please you. Help me to do that. That should be the driving motivation of your heart if you're a genuine believer in Christ. Now we, now we come to the text this morning that we originally started with. And it's an interesting text because back up in verse 36, John records these words again. He says, While you have the light, believe in the light in order that you may become sons of the light. Again, they're the last words of Christ's public ministry. And then John adds this editorial comment, verse 36. These things Jesus spoke, he departed and hid himself from them. That's it. Jesus' public ministry is over. He stopped speaking. But now you have these additional verses here at the end of chapter 12. What do you do with them? Where do you put them? Uh, Some people believe, well, maybe this is just one more, one last public discourse that our Lord delivered in Jerusalem at the conclusion of his ministry. Other people say, well, maybe it's kind of like um, he's kind of talking to them loud as he's walking away and telling him these kind of things. That's not what Jesus Christ would do. What do you do with these verses? Since verse 36 says Jesus has already departed and hid himself, I think probably the best way to take these verses from verse 44 to 50 is not to see that these are something that Jesus spoke right here on this occasion. The way I take them is to see them, this is John's summary statement, if you will, of Christ's public ministry. These are the highlights. These are the important truths. These are the things to emphasize in the, in the Savior's ministry, and, and this is the result of the fatal error or this will be uh, what will result from a fatal error of refusing to believe upon him. This is why you should believe. So again, this is John's summary statement. Jesus has already said these things at some point. And I think John restates them perhaps to those to maybe up to this point have not repented. He's trying to make one final argument for them to believe upon Christ. So again, it's a summary by John of why men should stop and believe. Why men should stop and consider Christ. And there are actually four different areas here. Four different reasons why men should believe upon Christ. The first area is Jesus' relationship to his Father. Jesus' relationship to his Father. I'll give them to you and we'll go back through them again. Jesus' relationship to his Father, which includes his deity, which is obviously tremendously important. In essence, John is saying that men should believe upon Christ because he's one in union with the Father. That's verses 44 and 45. Second, Jesus speaking himself as the light of the world. Again, John, in essence, is, in essence, is saying that men should believe upon Christ because he's the light. He is the light that shines into darkness. He is the one who shows men the way out. That's verse 46. The third point 
Jesus often spoke about the danger of unbelief. Therefore, John is calling men not to reject Christ because to reject Christ, listen, to reject Christ means you will face judgment. You'll face judgment. That's verses 47 and 48. And finally, number four, there's a command to believe. That's verses 49 and 50. John says men should believe upon Christ in obedience so that they might have eternal life. So this is a summary, verses 44 through 50. It's a summary, a postscript, an epilogue. Reasons why men should believe upon Christ. Four reasons, four major categories why men should have repented, why men should have believed upon him at this very moment, and then the consequences of unbelief. And since these are really restatements of things that Jesus has already said repeatedly, we don't need to spend a whole lot of time on them because we've covered each of these major headings throughout our study in the gospel. But nevertheless, let's work through them quickly. The first summary statement, why men should believe upon Christ, verse 44. Jesus cried out and said, he who believes in me. Jesus cried out and said, he who believes in me does not believe in me, but in him who sent me. And he who beholds me is the one who sent me. Again, Jesus is teaching you should believe upon Christ because, again, Christ is in union with the Father. He's one with the Father. He's saying if you don't know Christ, then you don't know the Father. Or you could say it a little bit differently. If you reject Christ, then you're rejecting the Father. This is something that Jesus repeatedly affirmed uh, throughout his ministry. Again, the essential unity that he has with the Father. John 10 and 31, I and the Father are one. John 10 and 38, you should know and understand that the Father is in me and I and the Father. John 8, verse 19, Jesus rebuked his critics saying, You know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. There are a lot of people who claim they know God. A lot of people who claim they know God, a lot of people who claim they're spiritual, a lot of people who claim they're religious, a lot of people have strong feelings about God, and sometimes even the God of the Bible. But if they don't know Jesus Christ, they don't know God. If they fail to confess Jesus Christ as Lord, if they fail to acknowledge his deity, if they fail to acknowledge his resurrection from the dead, if they fail to acknowledge him as the Lord and serve him with the entirety of their heart, submitting their life to him as Lord and Master because that's who he is, then that profession is not genuine. These kinds of people don't genuinely believe upon God because Jesus Christ is God. And again, if you don't believe upon Jesus Christ, then you don't believe in the one who sent him, therefore you have no true, genuine, saving faith. And the deity, whomever you're worshiping, is something you've made up in the imagination of your own heart. Jesus put it like this, John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you know him and have seen him. First John 2 and 23, whoever denies the Son does not have the Father, and the one who confesses the Son has the Father also. To reject the person of Jesus Christ, to reject the Savior, to reject the Messiah, is to reject the God of the Scripture. Because the God of the Bible, the God of the Scripture, is one with the person of Jesus Christ. To know Jesus Christ is to know the Father. To love Jesus Christ is to love the Father, to 
receive Jesus Christ means that you receive the Father. On the contrary, to reject Jesus Christ is to reject the Father. To hate Christ is to hate the Father. To refuse to believe upon Christ is to refuse to believe upon the God of the Bible. John 10, 38, starting in verse 37, says, If I do the works of my Father... Uh, if I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But, verse 38, if I do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Who of the human prophets raises people from the dead? Who of the human prophets gives sight to the blind? Nobody. His works proved who he was. If I do not do the works of my Father, don't believe me. But if I do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works. Open your eyes and see the reality that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. You know what the next verse says? They were therefore seeking to seize him. They wanted to kill him. Can't reject the truth, can't fight against the truth, but we're going to kill the person of the truth because we don't like the truth. I'm going to execute him on the spot. Claim to be one with the Father because that's truth. Jesus claimed to be one with the Father and knowing Christ, believing in Christ, means again you believe in God. To reject Christ means you don't know the Father. Again, that's verses 45 and 44 and 45. And that unbelief in Christ, that unbelief in the Father, is a forever, has a forever consequence. Reject Christ, reject the Father, reject salvation, and to reject Salvation is to reject eternal life. John seventeen three. This is eternal eternal life that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. Reject Christ, reject salvation. It has a forever consequence. The second summary truth that John puts forth here at the conclusion of chapter twelve, something that Jesus said repeatedly. It's a call to believe upon Christ because he's the light. Verse 46, I have come as light into the world that everyone who believes in me may not remain in darkness. Again, that's a repeated claim in John's gospel. It's a restatement of the truth that has that actually opened the very gospel of John. John spoke of Christ at the beginning, John 1 and 4. In him, speaking of Jesus Christ, in him was life and he was the life of And the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Speaking of Jesus Christ, John said, John 1, 9, He is the true light which comes into the world and lightens every man. Again, referring to Jesus Christ, John 3 and 19, this is the judgment. The light, the person of the light, deity, has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who hates The light, or does evil, hates the light and doesn't come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought and gone. I have come into the world as light that everyone who believes upon me, Jesus Christ says, may not remain in darkness. And those who believe upon Christ as the light, Paul says in Colossians chapter 1 verse 13, Those who believe upon Christ, they have been delivered from the domain of darkness. They've been delivered from the domain of darkness, which is Satan's domain, really the domain of darkness, and transferred into the kingdom of God's beloved Son, which is the kingdom of light. 
Verses 35 and 36 above say that when we believe upon Christ, we become sons of light. Again, the world sits in darkness spiritually. Ignorant of the truth. Ignorant of the reality of the condemnation that they sit under. Ignorant of the reality of the fact that they're alienated, separated from God the Father. That they're desperately in need of reconciliation. And when Jesus Christ came into the world, he shone as God's light. He exposed that darkness. As no one, again, has ever exposed the darkness of this world, he showed forth the righteousness of God his Father, and he showed man's desperate responsibility or desperate need of reconciliation. Because without Christ, without the light, the world remains in moral and spiritual darkness. Without the light, the world remains not understanding the things of the Spirit of God that have been revealed in God's Word. Darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God, it says in the book of Ephesians. So again, this truth is something that Jesus repeated often throughout his ministry. Come, believe, because I am the light. The third summary point here at the end. Men should believe upon Christ because to reject Christ means you will face God's judgment. Verse 47. If anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me does not receive my sayings, has one who judges him. The word I spoke is what will judge him on the last day. Here again is the reality of life in the world. Men are under judgment, all of us. Every single one of us. Stand with the sentence of death over us. The wages of sin is death. Death comes for all men, therefore that proves that all men are infected with this thing called sin. You can say, well, I don't like that. I don't like it either, but it's reality. It's reality of life in a fallen world. And somebody has to pay the penalty The wages of sin is death. Somebody has to pay that penalty. Men will pay that penalty. Apart from repentance and faith in Christ, men will pay that penalty, not just in time, but they'll pay for it for all eternity, bearing the righteous wrath of a God who hates sin. John 3 and 17, God did not send the Son in the world to judge the world, but that the world should be saved through him. Verse 18, he who does not believe in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. The foolishness of men who sit in darkness, the foolishness of men who reject God's grace and kindness, the foolishness of unrepentant, unbelieving men fail to understand that God has already declared you guilty. You are already guilty. And because you've not believed upon Christ, the, the verdict has been rendered. All that awaits is the execution of the judgment. And I'm telling you, if you fall into that category, you can't repent too soon because none of you knows how much time you have. None of you knows when the opportunity to believe is going to come to an end. Nobody knows when that final judgment is going to come uh, upon your life. But the promise of the scripture is it's going to come. At Christ's first coming, he did not come, as he said, I didn't come to judge. At the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, he came into the world to save the world, to offer himself up as the sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice, to stand in our place, to bear God's wrath against our sin. But he is the righteous judge. He is the one who will deal with all unrepentant sinners, and all unrepentant sinners will one day face his wrath in the future. 
The book of Revelation, chapter 6, verse 12, John says, I looked when he broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair, and the whole moon became like blood. Stars of the sky fell to the earth, and the fig tree, as a fig tree cast its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind, the sky was split apart like a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and the slave and the free men hid themselves in the caves and of the rocks in the mountains. Verse 16 of Revelation 6. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of the wrath has come. Who is able to stand? The answer is no one. If you reject God's grace and his mercy through Christ, then you will face Christ in his wrath against your rebellion. There is a coming day of judgment, and you need to be warned. The day of grace is coming to an end. And there's only one way to escape that awful day of coming judgment. John 5 and 24 says, Truly, truly, I say to you that he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. And doesn't come into judgment, has passed out of life into death. The only way to escape that coming day of judgment is repentance and faith in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul says that most glorious truth in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is now therefore what? No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's the only way to escape God's judgment. Repentance and faith in his dear son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's believe upon Christ because he's one with the Father. It's believe upon Christ because he is the light. It's believe upon Christ because to reject him means that you're going to face God's wrath and judgment. And lastly, number four, believe upon Christ because Christ has faithfully given the Father's truth. He's faithfully given the Father's command that leads to eternal life. Verse 49. For I did not speak on my own initiative, But the Father himself who sent me has given me commandment what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. Therefore, the things I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. So again, John is summarizing the repeated teaching, the testimony of Christ, that men should believe upon him. Repent. Believe upon the gospel. And the gospel is not an invitation for men to receive at their leisure, but the gospel is a command to this very moment repent, believe upon Christ, because eternal life is found in him and found in him only, and one day it will be too late. So the nation of Israel tragically rejected him. They refused to believe upon him. They ignored his warnings and they faced the consequences of their unbelief. Therefore, God hardened the hearts of those who were unwilling to believe and they became unable to believe. Facing the eternal consequences of their rebellion and their unbelief against God and Christ. And why is that here? Because, again, the entire book is written that you might know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, right, and believe upon him for eternal life. Why is that example here at the end of chapter 12? It is an example, again, of foolishness on display. 
The foolishness of the nation Israel on display here stands as a witness to every man to humble themselves, to repent, to place their faith upon the person of the Lord Jesus Christ before it's too late. Because apart from Jesus Christ, men have no hope. The writer of the book of Hebrews says, If we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a certain terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of fire which consumes the adversaries. The writer says, How much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace? The writer concludes and says, It's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God, especially when you don't have to. But you choose to. Because you choose to reject mercy and you choose for yourself condemnation. The foolishness of unbelief. Repent, believe upon Christ while you have time. Our Father in God, we're so thankful for the opportunity we've had to open your word and to study it together. And so thankful again for the one last call in the earthly ministry of Christ, his public ministry, for men to repent, to come to Christ, to believe, to not face you in judgment, but to have sins forgiven, to be transformed from the inside out, to know you as Father and not as judge. What a merciful God you are that desires to save men, but sadly most men are unwilling to be saved because of their pride, because of the hardness of their heart, because of their love of their own sin and their hate of righteousness. May you do, however, your transforming work on those whom you've called to yourself and change the hearts of those even this day whom you've called, that they might see the glory of Christ and repent, fall before you and fall before him and give the worship that you both so rightly deserve. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.